There are occasions in your life where you get dressed in the dark. You remember those occasions? Some of you guys, you, you, you've had this maybe. Uh, your, your wife was sleeping. You need to get up early. You need to go somewhere. Maybe it's a meeting. Maybe it's just to work. And so you get up early and you try to get dressed in the dark because you don't want to wake her up. And uh, what you discover is uh, once you get to work, you look down and you've got on one blue sock, one black sock. Or worse yet, you've got on one brown shoe and one black shoe, and you recognize, boy, if I'd have just looked in the mirror, <laughs> if I'd have looked in the mirror, this wouldn't have happened. If I'd have turned the light on, been able to see this, it wouldn't have happened. Now, now, ladies, you may have had a similar experience. I don't know, but uh, I, I've noticed occasionally that uh, you'll run into a, a, a woman who has uh, come in and she's just kind of been in a rush. She got out of the house really quick and. And, and she comes and she, she starts to carry on the conversation with you. And the only thing that you can see is lipstick right here on the tooth. And, and if she'd only looked in the mirror and smiled at herself, she'd have recognized that. Or, or you come back from lunch and, you know, you've had a great, you've had a nice salad for lunch. And then at the end of the day, you get in the car, you're just in the rearview mirror and you look. And there's this little piece of spinach right there. And if you'd only had that mirror a little bit sooner, you could, have been, you could have saved yourself a little embarrassment because you know all during the day, people are going, hey, did you see Sarah? She's got spinach in her teeth. And you know, that's your best friend in all the world, isn't it? You know, because instead of telling you, telling everybody else. Well, sometimes when you see things, sometimes you see things it causes you to respond in an appropriate way. I see that I have on different color shoes, different color socks. I swap those around. I see that I got lipstick on my tooth. Well, not my tooth, but uh, no, I don't do that. You've got lipstick on your tooth. You, you see it. You, you correct that. You've got something between your teeth. You see it. You correct that. Then there are those times that you see things, but you don't really see them. And guys, I, I guess I have to pick on you. Because you're getting ready to go out with your wife or your girlfriend or whoever you're going out with. You're getting ready to go out and you've gotten dressed and you come out and you get this question. Are you going out like that? Or are you going to wear that, some variation? Now, this is the absolute perfect time for some kind of a smart remark on behalf of the guys, right? You've done that. No, it's not a good time for that. This, let me, I'm going to give you a hint right here, guys. If you do this and what you're getting, you're getting ready to go out and she's dressed up and you're dressed and she looks over at you and says, are you going to wear that? The appropriate, the appropriate response is absolutely not, dear. Why I would, n- I would never go out like this. You're dressed so nicely, and I look like a rodeo clown. No, dear, I would not go out with you like that. No. Uh, just go ahead, admit it, and go change. And matter of fact, let her pick out your clothes. Uh, better yet, stick with Garanimals. Some, some of you are old enough to get that. Okay. All right. I never had those. So Sometimes you see things, and you still don't see them. You look in the mirror and you go, I think I'm okay. And then your wife goes, no, no, not really. What we're going to read this morning has to do with seeing things. Not seeing them or seeing them and not really seeing what's there. Let me ask you a question. What do you see 
when you look around your neighborhood. Oh, houses, grass, dog, cat, someone out mowing their yard. What do you see, though, when you look in your neighborhood? What do you see when you drive around the streets of Greensboro, Union Point, Siloam, Buckhead, or you drive around the lake? What do you see when you stand in line at the grocery store at Ingalls or Publix? What do you see when you go to the Braves game and have to weave your way through that crowd in order to get there? Well, the obvious answer is I see people. But is that all you see? This morning I want to invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew, the ninth chapter, we're going to look at verses 35 to 38, just a small segment, but it has to do with seeing, really seeing. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. I'll give you just a moment to find that. Matthew chapter 9, pretty, pretty easy to find. Matthew being the first book in the New Testament. Would you stand with me and honor the reading of God's true and holy word this morning? Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Father, help us to understand this word and to apply it in our lives. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Jesus is going about, as, as he was doing his routine, he was, he was teaching people truth. And then he was backing that up with some very powerful actions as he was healing people's diseases and casting out evil spirits and and it was, it was quite a ministry. And, and you would imagine if someone came to town and they were doing that. Be, let, let me, yesterday we went, we went to Birmingham and back in one day. And, and right, at, uh, right off the interstate and Lakeshore Drive, there's an intersection. And there's a, a street preacher. I guess we could call him a highway preacher because that's where he was. And he has got, must be two dozen signs up with scriptures and you know, calls to repent and all these things. And he's standing out there with a microphone and a loudspeaker, and, and he's wearing a sombrero. He uh, didn't really need it because yesterday wasn't sunny. An umbrella would have been a better choice. But he's out there, and as cars are whizzing by, he's preaching to these cars. Now, he didn't draw much of a crowd. However, if he had been going around not only preaching... But casting out demons and healing people, you would expect that a crowd would start to gather, wouldn't you? Well, that's exactly what's happening with Jesus here. He's not only teaching, but he's backing it up with some acts of miraculous power, and the people are coming. And Jesus sees the crowd, sees those crowds. He sees the people just coming over the, the hills and just gathering to come hear what the others are hearing and experience what the others are experiencing. Here's this big crowd. Now, I don't know what the disciples are thinking when they see this. We're not told what the disciples are thinking when they see this. 
But if I were one of the disciples, I was going, we've hit the big time now. I mean, just look at this. People are coming from all over. We have hitched our wagon to the right star, guys. We are in a movement now. People are coming now. People are flocking to us now. We are riding high. It's only going to go up from here. Now, if I were a disciple, that's what I'd be thinking. We're not told what those disciples are thinking, but we are told what Jesus is thinking. Jesus saw the crowds, and he saw more than just the people. He saw deeper than just the people. It was more than, more than just a, a mass of humanity, a bunch of nameless faces, a whole sea of people. Jesus saw something entirely different. And what we read is when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, the same people the disciples were looking at, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What do you see when you see the crowd? Well, I could probably give Nancy a microphone and let her testify on my behalf. Every person between Union Point and the house where my daughter's staying in Irondale, Alabama, every person I passed was an obstacle. It was like a NASCAR race in the rain. I, I never once, as I was going around these people, weaving and moving around, I never once glanced over and said, you know what, that, I don't know if that person is, is lost or saved, but I know that they're precious to God. I never once looked over and said that. Now, I did use the word moron and idiot a few times, but it was not in a positive kind of way. They were obstacles. If you've ever sat in Atlanta traffic, now maybe you're different from me. Maybe you sit in Atlanta traffic and you look around and you go, I don't know what's going on in that person's life, but I'm going to just stop here and pray for them. What are you laughing about? You don't do that, do you? No. I'm just going to pray for them. When I get in line at Walmart, now, are you like me? No matter which line you get in, there's always somebody that's got a problem. I, it doesn't matter. There could be one person here, three people here. I get behind the one, there's a problem. It's just going to stop. And, you know, at that point, I could just say, you know what, let me just pray for this person. I, I mean, I may do that, but I'd be praying a different kind of prayer. It would not be one concern for their eternal soul. In other words, we see people. It's not that we don't see people. It's what we see when we see people. It's a little different than what Jesus saw when he saw people. When he looked at them, it said he had compassion on them. That word compassion, we, we've got our own definition. But best, basically, uh, for, for them, compassion started in the gut. It was a stirring in the gut, which sounds like we need to take Pepto or something, but in this instance, it's what we think of as compassion. And you've had this feeling as you've seen people and you've heard for people. Something deep down inside. We understand where this word comes from. Something deep down inside stirs within us for that person who's hurting. And that's what was happening is Jesus saw the crowds coming. 
He wasn't thinking, woohoo, we've hit the big time. Come on, boys, let's celebrate. No, something began to stir within Jesus, and he began to look at all those people and actually see the faces and see the lives of those people who were coming to him, and he was stirred with compassion. Why? Well, we don't have to guess. We're told because these people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word harassed and helpless, those two words literally mean to be torn and thrown down. This is an image of a wild animal attack. Maybe you've watched it on the Nature Channel. The lion, the cheetah, one of these big cats are out. Uh, maybe you've seen the crocodiles. Maybe, they, maybe you like reptiles better. You've seen crocodiles or alligators. But it's this kind of being torn and thrown down. This is the image that Jesus got. When he sees these people, He's not seeing popularity. He's not seeing headlines. He's not seeing, hey, I wonder what these people can do for me. When Jesus sees the crowds, he sees their deepest needs. They have been torn down, torn and thrown down. They have been, they're harassed, they're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Now, this is important because he was dealing with Jewish people. And God had appointed leaders in the Jewish community to shepherd the sheep. The priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, teachers of the law, these should have been shepherds for the people, but instead they were part of the problem. You see, it wasn't just that Israel was occupied by Roman armies and there was oppression by the Roman armies. No. The people who should have shepherded the sheep were laying heavy religious regulations one on top of another on them until it became a crushing burden. In fact, Jesus said they put, you put regulations on the people that you don't even follow. And so they were being, they were being crushed by a Roman army. They were being worn out by all these religious regulations and never knowing it's like trying to, you know, it's trying to, like trying to please the IRS, right? You never know when you got it right. And so it, it's just, what am I missing? I'm always doing something wrong. I'm always doing something. No matter how good I think I, I've got all these rules down, I've always got some religious leader coming and telling me, no, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And then on top of that, you got the ultimate enemy. The enemy of our souls. And so between the Roman legions and between the, the, the religious leaders who should have been shepherds but were instead wolves in sheep's clothing and what Satan was doing in their lives, Jesus looked at these people and his heart broke and his gut stirred and he had compassion on them and he saw them for who they were. Now, I would venture to say that when you and I look at the crowds, look at the masses, look at the people we encounter, that we may not see them in exactly the same way. We may not be stirred deep within, moved to compassion. They become nameless faces 
obstacles in our path from point A to point B. People, quite frankly, unworthy of the attention of our hearts. This is not meant to be an accusation. This is meant to be an admission of reality. For me, what do I see when I look at people? Are they means to an end, obstacles in my way, just a mass? Or are they individuals harassed and helpless in their lives? Why is it so hard for us to see the way Jesus saw? There are all kinds of reasons. I mean, we're busy people, aren't we? We're on our way. We've got an agenda. We've got, we've got tasks. We're, we're preoccupied. We've got our own things going on. We we're, we're tend to be self-focused, and, and people want to pull us off of, of self, and we can be judgmental. We can look at our lives and we can look at the lives of those people and go, you know what, their lives are messed up, but hey, they did it. If they just lived like me, they'd be okay. We like to lie to ourselves. Or perhaps we're not convinced they're in such a bad way after all. It's different though when you get to know them. Have you ever noticed this? Maybe you work with people and and, and you just kind of had a, a general working relationship with them, but you didn't, didn't really know them. And then one day they come in, and, and you can just tell that something's different in their lives. They come in, and their countenance has fallen. It's like they've got a dark cloud over them. They, they walk in, and you, just, and you just know. And so you take the chance on that day to say, hey, listen, it looks like something might be wrong, what's going on in your lives. And then, and then you, you crack that door just a little bit, and they begin to unveil and unwrap their life before you. And see, you didn't know that for the last five years, their marriage had been falling apart. You didn't know that he's got a mother who's in the nursing home and has been just north of a vegetable for the last three months. You didn't know that eight months ago he had gone to the doctor and he said, I, I see something in, in this x-ray that doesn't look good. And now that person is no longer a nameless face, a co-worker, one of the crowd. Now they're real. They're a person just like you, who hurts just like you, who has needs just like you. And you never see that person the same way again. You and I do that kind of here and there in a spotty fashion. This, it's an incredible thing about Jesus, but also a, a, a burden that he bore you see when he looked at people he saw it all he saw their lives he saw their hopes and shattered dreams he saw their pains he saw their misery 
He saw their oppression. He saw every bit of it. And had it been you or me, we'd have probably turned and run for the hills. Jesus waded into the middle of them. Because without him, there was no hope. There was no help. There was no other resource. And so today as we see this, perhaps we should begin to pray, God, open our eyes. I see the crowds. I see the people. But but God, open my eyes. Let me see with new, fresh eyes. Let me see with your eyes just for a moment. Let me get a glimpse into what they're enduring. Let me get just a, a picture as to what's happening in their lives. And God, when I see it, when I see it, don't, don't let me lock down. But help me to open up. To be stirred deep within. To be moved with compassion so that I might act on their behalf. My act may not be to go to their house and visit. My act may not be to go sit with their mother. My act may not be any of these things. My act might simply be to commit myself to daily lift them up to prayer and to be a source of encouragement in their lives. But God, whatever it is, let me see it. Don't let me run from it. Fill me with compassion. Show me how to act. Well, when Jesus saw all that, You would have expected he'd have turned to his disciples and said, Guys, let me tell you what I'm seeing. People who harassed and helped us like sheep without a shepherd, you would have expected Jesus to say, Now get out there and help them. Go. Activate. But that's not what Jesus says. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What are you going to do about it? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out his workers into the harvest field. Jesus looks out there and he sees this mass of hurting, helpless, hopeless people out there. People who are hungry for something and they don't even know what it is. People who've been let down by religion. And oppressed by life. And he doesn't say, okay, disciples, go out there and start working with them. See, Jesus understood there was no shortage of wheat out in the field. What he understood was there was a shortage of harvesters to go out among them. And so instead of being Jesus and us 12, let's go. Jesus said the first thing we need to do is hit our knees. We need some help, boys. We need some help. Why did Jesus pray? Tell them to pray to start with. Well, first of all, because reaching the crowds is a big job. Reaching the crowds is a big job. Why pray? Because there are over 7 billion people in the world. And of that, only 2.18 billion who profess to be Christians. Less than one-third of the world's population professes to be Christian. Jesus said, why pray? Because it's a big job. You say, well, it's an awful big world, Pastor. That's just too much for me to absorb. But let me tell you, there are 9.9 million people uh, who live here in Georgia. 
9.9 million. So we've narrowed it down quite a bit. Only 16% of them say that they have no religion or have a religion something other than Christianity. You go, well, we're doing pretty well. If I subtract, you know, from 100%, I subtract 16. Let's see, that's 90, that's 84% are Christian. So we're 84% Christian. Now, wait a minute. Is anybody here about to buy it? That Georgia, the state of Georgia is 84% Christian? Might things look a little different this morning in our churches if Georgia was 84% Christian? If Georgia was 84% Christian, if Green County were 84% Christian, we don't have enough churches to fit them all. People would be sitting in the aisles. People, we'd have to have a video broadcast out in the parking lot to, to accommodate all the people who say they're Christian. Now, you say, but it's not all about church attendance. You're right. If Georgia were 84% Christian, if Georgia were 84% Christian, why do we have such a pitiful, inept response to the needs of the other 16%? We're not 84% Christian. People can call themselves whatever they want to call themselves. It doesn't mean it's true. You want my guess? Georgia is probably about as Christian as the rest of the world. About a third the population. It's a big task. It's a big job. And if it's going to be accomplished, we start by praying. Why pray? Because the Lord is ultimately responsible for the harvest. You and I don't save anybody. And you know something else? Whether it's me or Billy Graham, preachers don't save anybody either. The only one who's in the saving business is Jesus. You see, only God can raise the spiritual dead. I can't do that. But he can. You and I can point people to hope. We can live in hope. But ultimately, it's God's responsibility to save a soul. Why pray? Because prayer precedes action. Prayer comes before action. Some of you are people of action. If I, you know, your, your issue to challenge, bam, let's do it. Now, some of you guys, you do this at home with your wives. Your wife comes to you with a problem. What's your first response? Let's fix it. I do that. It gets me in trouble, by the way. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, here I am. My, my wife, she just, she wants to talk. She wants to get it out. She wants to deal, you know, here's the issue. Let's, let's massage this together. And I'm like, she tells me the problem. Oh, yeah, well, here's what you do. Um, if it works in your house, good for you. It works so well in my house. Sometimes Nancy just has to stop me and say, I just want you to listen. That's okay. That can happen. Sometimes I'm wise enough to ask, do you want an answer for this or do you just want me to listen? 
Some of you have experienced this, haven't you? Okay. Some of you are people of action. You take action. You hear a problem, let's go do it. Now, line them up, get the troops ready, march. But when Jesus saw the crowds, he said, wait, hey, slow down, guys. We've got to pray because prayer precedes action. Prayer does not replace action, but it precedes it. When you pray, especially what Jesus called them to pray, when you pray, God, I'm coming to you. You're the Lord of the harvest. You're responsible for this harvest, God. When I'm coming to you and asking you, God, here's what I'm asking. I'm asking you to raise up harvesters to go with me. See, some of you thought, oh, man, I get off easy. You've been talking about this evangelism, mission stuff, and now Jesus comes along and says, oh, all you have to do is pray. Just, just, just pray. That's all you have to do. It's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen, before you go, you better pray for some help. That's exactly what he's saying. Pray to the Lord of the harvest who's responsible for the harvest to touch the lives of other people who will stand alongside you in this great task of harvesting because the harvest is plentiful and you're going to need all the help you can get. Now, why do I think prayer precedes action? Well, if you just happen to have your Bibles remaining open to Matthew chapter 9, you don't have to open it back. You can trust me. Do you know what happens in Matthew chapter 10 verse 1? He calls his disciples to him and he gave them authority. Gave them authority. And then he sent them out. Prayer does not replace action. Prayer precedes action. Okay, you, you, you got all this. You know all this. What different is now going to happen? What difference is this going to make in your life? Quite frankly, None. If you just go away and go, that you know, it was a fine sermon. I wish so-and-so had been here. They needed to hear that. But if you honestly go away from here and you go, God, I, I got to confess to you when I see people, there are obstacles or there are opportunities or there's something else. But God... Would you do a miraculous work to take the scales off my eyes so I can actually see people? Would you clear my agenda enough so that I might be willing to enter into another person's pain and tragedy and suffering? God, I'm tired of retreating back to my home and closing the doors and closing the world out. I know that there is a harvest to be had, and I know that you're calling me, but before I can go, God, I need to see. So would you show me? I had uh, the privilege this past week of kind of going and walking. Uh, I, I'm in the schools a lot. 
but I was able to go around and see all of the LOA campus. I'd never been out there to go around and see all the Lake Oconee Academy campus and, and to walk around and see some of the students. Now, you know, my eyes were always peeled trying to find the students that were connected to the church, and I saw a number of them. But at one point, this group of, they must have been pre-K, this group of pre-K kids comes marching into the cafeteria as we're standing there. And maybe it was this message churning in me, but here I am, I'm seeing these sweet, innocent kids marching in, and I immediately got an image, not of just those little kids, but of their moms and dads, and my heart began to break because this is what I knew was true. No matter how well off they were, how nicely they were dressed, More than half of them had no family connection. Their families weren't connected to Christ at all. Living a purely secular life, giving a wink and a nod to Jesus, and that's about it. More than half of them this morning, they're not connected to any church. I mean, it's too messy to maybe go out to the lake, but they're playing games, watching cartoons heading off this place or that. They have no connection to Jesus. And when I should have just been sitting there smiling at those little faces as they marched in, I got to tell you, there was a moment of heaviness in me that said there's some broken families represented by each one of these little teeny kids walking in here. And God gave me just a glimpse, just a small window into what it means to see if we're ever going to accomplish the mission. We've got to see. We've got to see like Jesus saw. If we're ever going to accomplish the mission, we've got to pray. We've got to go to God and we have to be honest with Him. God, now that I've seen it, would you raise up people to go with me because I'm already sold on it. I, I'm already committed to it. I already see the need. I can't back out. I can't, I can't put it in reverse from here. But I need some help. God, would you raise up people to come with me? We're heading towards a time, uh, what we're calling revival, the harvest of hope in October. I don't know what you're expecting. But I got to tell you, no matter how much planning is done, no matter how much publicity is done, no matter how many times you might hear it on the radio, no matter how good our lineup of speakers is, absolutely nothing of eternal value is going to happen if we don't see people pray and go. They're not going to come in here and be wowed by me or Tony Eubanks or Kenny Peavy or anyone else who's going to come and speak to us that day, those days. We don't revive the dead. Only Jesus does. And Jesus has asked him to join us in that process by opening our eyes to see 
by getting on our knees to pray and by linking arms with other believers to go out into the field. I'm going to ask you all if you'll close your eyes, bow your heads right now, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than right now is to spend just a moment with God and be honest with Him. Do you need to ask God to open your eyes to see? Do you need to ask God to stir in you compassion? Do you need to ask God for help to go with you? Do you need to ask God to push you out of your seat, your comfort zone, out into the field? This is your moment, your moment. Don't think God doesn't have a place for you in this mission. This is yours. Father God, thank you so much for the prayers that are being offered up in integrity right now. People are honestly asking you, God, to open their eyes. People who are honestly asking you, God, to raise up workers. People who are honestly praying for those men and women and children they know who don't know Christ. People who are honestly going to you, God, and saying, okay, Lord, I'm scared to death, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to make that lunch date with that person. I'm going to go by and see that person. I'm going to write that note to that person. I'm going to do what it takes, God, to begin to build a bridge into that person's life to bring hope to them. Lord, whatever it is you're calling us to do, don't let us back out. Carve it in stone, God, and keep reminding us that this is ours. And we need to claim it. Lord, if there are those here this morning who need to know Jesus, they know that they don't know him. Oh, they know of him. But they don't have a relationship with him. They have no security in eternity. God, I pray that as we sing this final song, you just yank them up out of their seats and pull them to the front. Lord, if there are those who need a church home, and you've already called them, and you've said Grace Fellowship is the place, then Lord, bring them. And Lord God, if there are those who just need to come in confession and repentance, just kneel here and be honest with you. God, bring them. And Lord, each of these names up on the cross, each of these people represented, they're no more than just names and initials. God, these are people. These are sheep without a shepherd. God, may we be constantly in prayer for them. Lord, we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.